Hey guys, just quick announcement on the podcast here. This is Trevor. I realized while editing this episode and the next one that my mic software reset itself, and so my normal filter that's on my mic to cancel out all my breathing noises is not there. So if this episode and the next episode sound extra breathy, I apologize. But yeah, that's it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 80, and we are jumping into part four of Oathbringer. We have four chapters and four different point of view uh, characters to read from this week. And I've said this once before on the podcast, but I will refresh your guys' memories on this. When before... Brandon Sanderson released Oathbringer. He said that Oathbringer was very much two stories pushed together into one book. And part three is the end of like one story. And then part four pushing into part five is another like complete new story arc. So here we are pushing into that after our interludes from last week. Uh, How are you, Paul? I'm doing so great. We have a Zeth chapter this week. I could not be happier. When's the last time you got a Zeth chapter? It's been 80 years. It's been <laughs> It's been long. 84 years. Yeah, yeah. Elliot, how are you? Good. I'm good. I look forward to our, our recording se- sessions every week, and this was another one where I was just like itching to, to talk about this stuff, so I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. Uh, Paul, who's on our mug? Ah, uh, yes, our uh, grand mug this week. Uh, whoops, I almost spilled. Okay is Cody. Cody is a surgeon, and uh, we really appreciate the support. So Thank you, Cody. So I have a little bitty uh, espresso cup with some floral decor. Um, so yes, if I can hold on to this properly. and <laughs> Thank you, Cody. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Oops. Oh, there's the pinky. Thank you. Thank you, Cody. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you. And we'll start with you, Elliot, while Paul sips his water. Do you have two words to summarize this episode? I I do, as, as always, my, my two words for this, this set of chapters. The two words are broken and glow. Okay, broken and glow. Uh, Paul? I have my words written down. I had almost forgotten them. Because, um, okay, so... My two words for this week are reborn and marbles. All right. Broken, glow, marbles, and reborn. Let's use these four words and push into part four of Oathbringer. All right, Paul, kick us off. What do your what do your words mean? Okay, so I'll I'll go in order of least significant to most significant. So reborn is basically just about Zeth. I think that's even the chapter of the episode or of of the. Hold on, the, the title cha- of the chapter. There you not go. The chapter of the episode. Um, title of the chapter with Zeth. Uh, we see a very 
cool depiction of Zeth and just a lot of stuff, which I'm really excited to talk to you all about. Um, as well as, like you said, uh, starting in part four is kind of starting a new arc, I guess. And so you could look at it that way, like it's a reborn, I guess, sort of like this new arc as we go forth. So there's that. And Marbles... I thought it was funny to talk about marbles with Shades Mark because it's just all these beads, you know, and I couldn't help but think about marbles, and that is all. That's that's the the deep significance there. The the whole the whole shebang. Yes. Uh, Elliot, your two words. Broken and glow. Again, rather Zeph oriented for the most part. I picked broken because I think it explains where it touches on where a lot of our different characters are i think zeth is still inherently broken i'm excited to actually see a little more of him to see where he's at kind of mentally but i think there's still something a little snapped inside there well we'll see perhaps dalinar is rather broken both in the past and the present and kaladin's in another fairly broken place right now a lot, a lot of people in need of some some mending i think and then glow, because Shadesmar seems like a glowy place and that there's maybe like all these little glows kind of just hanging out in different places. And then I think we've saw reference to this before, but getting reminded of Zeth's after glow thing that he's got going on, which is a little strange, very strange. But I think that's why I picked so glow. Cool. I coolest imagery maybe in the book so far. I was yeah. gonna save this. So cool. I was gonna save this for maybe maybe next week or maybe later in this episode, but I'll go ahead and do it now. If you guys want to look at the most recent picture I put in the Discord for you guys and have a look at it, this is uh, this is the sticker pack that came with the the backer kit from last year for the the Wave Kings Leatherbound, and I don't know if you guys can see it on my camera here, but and I'll put it on the screen for you guys, but Zeth has uh, his afterglow image coming in behind him with on the sticker here, and it's in your general chat there. So um, there's Nail over here as one of the stickers, and then Zeth with his uh, afterglow with Nightblood. So it's part of the backer kit that came. Nice. Very nice. It's pretty dope. The, the imagery of, like, his soul isn't quite connected right or aligned right with his heal when when nail like healed him right he had to reconnect his soul and now it's like a little bit off and so as he moves it's kind of like a glowy like shadow almost and that is like the coolest imagery possibly ever it's it's so dope like i uh, it's so cool I Zeth, couldn't get over it. Zeth is back in with a very cool uh, aura w about him. Yeah, I I thought he was cool before, Literally. like aesthetically, like the assassin in white or whatever. Like that's so cool, and now he's just like even cooler. Like, oh, well done, well done, bravo. My compliments to the chef. All right, before we before we talk a little bit more about Zeth and his weapon that he's newly acquired. We need to talk about Dalinar. It is Dalinar's book. We get a Dalinar flashback chapter for the first time since we've seen the death of Evie back in part three. 
And this is three years later after what happened at the Rift. And Dalinar's a complete mess. For the last three years, on and off, he's been drowning his sorrows, drowning his madness in alcohol to the point where his family starts hiding the alcohol around the, the palace from him where they know he'll go after the alcohol when he's feeling weak and his downer's mind is completely gone at this i mean it's not completely gone but it's for, it's pretty far gone at this point he'll see like a red carpet and say oh that's blood that reminds me of evie or he'll see he'll see fire and be like oh that reminds me of the rift or he'll see his his son Adolin or Renarin, and Renarin is, you know, burning a prayer or whatever. It's like, oh, Evie used to burn prayers all the time. Like, everything reminds him of what he did to, to Evie. So that's where we pick up here. What did you guys think of our first glimpse of flashback Dalinar? We're inching closer to the reveal of the Night Watcher, which we know is coming. We don't really know how that's going to play out, though. Yeah, I don't know that there's a, a whole lot to add there. He's he's in a really low spot right now. It's clearly wrecking his whole life. He's he's not dealing with it. He's it's leaked into every every area of his life, like you're saying. Everything reminds him of what he's done. He just he can't get away from it. It's definitely sad to see this. Um because I, I feel like whenever we saw at the end of part three, right, whenever there's kind of this reveal of Dalinar was, like, who was responsible for the death of, of Evie, um, it was really sad. But even after that, it, he, he resorted to, like, covering it up or, like, even blaming her in some instances of, like, I can't believe she would do this or get try you know that storming woman, you know, like all this stuff. And we really see that like, like he, he obviously has a great deal of remorse over it. He, he isn't like completely cold hearted to that. It's like really, really messed him up. And it's very sad to see. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I think the best thing about our flashbacks is that we know how the character is now. And so it's way like, if this weren't the case, if we were, like, let's say this was set before this current time frame we're, we're reading and we were just reading this story, it would be, like, way scarier, I guess. Like, we know we know Delinar ends up to be, like, a great character, at least, but, yeah. In In some ways, in some ways, what you're describing is comforting and that we know that Dalinar gets to a better place. But in other ways, it's almost kind of worse because how he gets from where he's at now in the flashbacks to the I'm honorable, I'm going to enforce this honor on the entirety of Alethkar, like how he gets from A to B is going to determine a lot about how we view modern Dalinar. And right. so we've talked about this a couple of times. I'm really nervous about why how he gets there because it's gonna i know change my perspective of dalinar as a character completely or it might so 
I'm comforted that he's going to get to a better place. I'm nervous how he's going to get to a better place. You're nervous that he's going to cheat his way to becoming a better person and not actually journey his way there. He's just going to shortcut it. Yeah, kind of. It's, yeah. If all of his honor, if all of his good leadership, all, all the things we talked about in Way of Kings, that awesome climactic moment at the end of Way of Kings where he surrenders his shard blade to buy the bridgeman, if all of that, if all of that is built on the fact that he doesn't know who he is, that's going to cause me problems because it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to process his character and the decisions he's made if he's only making them because he's lost his identity. Now, if there's more of a journey there, then yes, fine. But if it is simply, I have no memory of, the tragic, horrible things I've done. Therefore, I'm a good guy. Oh no, now I remember what I've done. Am I really a bad guy? That's, it's a very, very interesting character arc. I'm really excited to see where we're going to go. I'm also terrified. Yeah, for sure. That scene in Wave Kings where he says, for the Bridgeman, and then throws his, throws yes. Oathbringer into, into the Justice Glyph. It's my favorite scene in, in, Stormlight. Maybe my favorite scene of fiction I've ever read, to be honest. And I'm I'm scared we're gonna have a con- we're gonna have to have a conversation at some point in the future about does that act still have the same weight that it does to us now? Like right. I'm I'm with you. That is like the iconic moment of this whole series so far. But is that gonna is the rug gonna get pulled out from under us? Are we gonna have to look back on that and analyze does it still count? Right. Or like, yeah, we'll see. The second part of this chapter, Dalinar finds some alcohol eventually, but he goes to the beggar's porch, which is in the back, basically the backseat of the palace down from the kitchens. That's where all the beggars, you know, sit and wait for the the scraps after the feast and he finds his old drinking pal ahu which who we've never we've never met and paul in the live reactions channel for our patrons you made me laugh on this one because your your live reaction was something to the effect of i don't know if this is just some random guy or somebody really important and you could you could kind of say that for all of our like you know, in the shadow characters that we meet in Stormlight, like, is this really just somebody we're meeting for one time and it doesn't really matter? Or is this, like, you know, somebody super important under a different name that we should know? So what what did you guys think? So Ahu, first off, I, I think the audio, like, just a side note, I think listening to the audiobook, like, helped me a lot with picturing Ahu. Uh, he did a great job, like, giving him a good voice and giving him this, like, kind of crazy and, like, drunken personality, I guess. I, I don't know. It, it it just was really, like, it put a great, good image in my mind. But it was it was weird, because so Ehu is always talking about, like, oh, the voices aren't too bad today. They're just telling me to, like, kill myself or whatever. Like, it, it's just, like, really, like, deep stuff. But he's like, not a bad day, right? 
and uh, him and Delon are kind of relating over just having really, really crazy, like traumatic experiences, I guess, which was which was interesting. Um, yeah, and about Ahu being important or not, like he had the level of craziness that I'm like, you could be some just crazy beggar guy or you could be a herald like i don't <laughs> i don't fully know so um it's interesting this is one of those moments where i i sometimes break out of character as a reader if that's a thing where i'm i'm fully immersed i'm, I'm following along with my character i'm taking everything at face value and then something like this happens and i you kind of pause and you're like okay Here's a, a could be nobody or could be important who drops some interesting names and makes some interesting, crazy claims. This could be a lunatic who an alcoholic who's just mindlessly blathering about nothing. Or this could be really insightful clues about the secrets of Roshar. And I tend to lean towards the latter kind of because... Why else would it be in here? As, as the author, he could just toy with us, which we've seen Sanderson kind of do this with us before, so maybe this is the case, and just have a character, you know, be insane and, and ramble off stuff that means nothing. Or he can use this moment to, you know, slip in a few things that are like, aha, this will be your, your little secret without actually telling you anything. Like, if I'm the author, why not do that? So I tend to think, like, ooh, these these have got to be good nuggets of something. You guys are getting to the point of Stormlight awareness, Stormlight vocabulary, where you know what to look for. You just don't quite have the picture of yep. this is what I'm seeing. You just know, it, okay, he's hiding something here. I can understand that. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> And just kind of the the way he's talking and sort of the names that he's dropping, he actually draw, does mention one we have seen before. We might have seen some of the other ones before, but one caught my eye, and that was Mo, Moloch. We've seen that one mentioned before, and I get all the, the random obscure names kind of mixed up, but I know that's one of the references to, like, it's either the, the Death Rattles that Teravangian is working on or potentially, like, the... Um, the thrill. I don't remember which one of those that was tied to, but some sort of spren. So I'm kind of making a, a, a sort of jump that perhaps he's referencing like unmade, like different types of, of unmade here perhaps. But yeah, you're right. We have enough to know this is important, but not enough to know why or what. Uh, quick, just one more thing before we move on. Have we seen a who before? Not that I recall, but I would not surprise me if we have. I think Trevor just likes to ask this question every time we meet a character. Yep. Just to make us think. I don't want to make a definitive statement, but <laughs> So I will I will say I don't this. Think we have. I, I you guys can go searching for this after, but we have seen him before. And where we saw him was episode one of Following Note on. <laughs> Zeth, Zeth walks past him in the prologue. Oh, 
so you can go re- read the prologue of the way of kings if you'd like uh oh, wow. there's an interesting oh, wow. th- there's a very interesting uh conversation that zeth has on his way into the castle interesting which i'm sure at the time we wrote off as well that can't be important so now that we know that yeah, maybe, hey, this is a character who knows a little more than than we think he does. Interesting. All right. Whoa, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, there you go. That was a year and a half ago at this point. Yeah. More than. Yeah. yeah. All right. Into eighty nine, we are rejoining our probably our a plot of Oathbringer so far of. We've tried to retake Kolinar. Kolinar has fallen. We've escaped into Shadesmar. We're in Shadesmar. And Adolin, we've got our four humans. Adolin, Kaladin, Shallan, and Azure. And we have our three Spren. Uh, Sill, Pattern, and... What's-her-face? We don't, we don't know her name. Yeah. Our... Adolin and Kaladin are kind of rightfully so freaking out uh at the opening of this uh the opening of this chapter they've just been thrown into Shadesmar for the first time azure and shallan as we learned a couple chapters ago they've both been here before so they're they've got their wits about them a little bit better kaladin is all over the place he's sad about kolinar he's sad about elokar he's freaking out about spren being people in like Scylla's full full size in Shadesmar. So Kaladin's all over the place. Adolin, this is from the perspective of Adolin, this chapter. And Adolin's just trying to do a head count, kind of, as, as this uh, chapter opens. He's looking around. Oh, Kaladin's clearly not okay. Shalon seems to be doing just fine. She's kind of crazy, whatever. Uh, Azure's over there. She has her shard blade next to her. Wait, she has her shard blade next to her. That's not a thing in Shadesmar. Do you guys want to talk about this? I do. I, I want to talk about this a bit. Um, so here we are in the midst of the marbles. And okay, I have a couple things I want to bring up. So you mentioned our four humans and our three spren, right? And then there's also the two like ginormous spren. Which I believe in this episode we learn are the spren of the Oathgate. Right. Which I thought was interesting. I don't really have that... I didn't think about that that much. It was kind of one of those things where... I've got like 20 things I'm trying to think we about. And then that came <laughs> on. And I was like, I'll get to that later. Like, I'll just add it to the list. Come back to that at another time. Um, which is very interesting. Um, but with this spren... The, our three normal spren, I guess. Um, we learned that this third unknown to us spren is dead it is adolin's sword it's not azure spread like we initially thought um and adolin even tries to summon his shard blade and she just like screeches and it's like really horrifying and i was like yeah. oh okay um uh, it just has no expression like nothing it's just a dead spread there that screeches if he tries to summon her and i don't understand how that works but so this isn't Azure Spren. It is it is Adolin's sword. We we've learned that, and also that you don't like summon your shard blade or anything in 
in Chainsmore. Which I, I know we said last time that if this turned out to be Adolin Spren, it would have been a huge shock. And it, it does turn out to be Adolin Spren, sort of, right? Right. It's it's not his like radiant bond spren, but it is the spren of his shard blade. It's his shard blade, which is interesting. But the fact that Azure's shard blade is not a spren, clearly. Like, is it even a shard blade? They keep calling it a shard blade, but in my mind, that like makes it not a shard blade at this point. So now I'm curious, is this a different classification of weapon? We know it sort of behaved like one in battle, right? It it did it was a little different than the regular shard blades in that it didn't burn out the the eyes of the people it destroyed, but it also was like able to cut through walls and, and stuff like that, right? So let's talk about the rules of a, of a normal shard blade and then we'll compare Azure's Azure sword to it. So a, a normal, a normal, uh, like Adolin's Adolin's shard blade in the real, in the physical realm, it has a gemstone at the pommel that he uses to bind to himself to it. So he can dismiss it and summon it, it takes 10 heartbeats to do so. As you cut someone with a shard blade, you burn their eyes and they die unless they have stormlight in which it burns that part of the body and you have to cut their spine if they have stormlight. So if you remember Kaladin and Zeth fighting, Zeth slices Kaladin's arm, Adolin notices his arm kind of goes dead and uh, Kaladin heals himself with stormlight and he's totally fine after getting hit by Zeth's shard blade. Azure's shard blade turns any skin it touches ashen gray, kind of like what happened to Kaladin, except I don't know if we can assume this actually, but we're assuming that the Palace Yard don't have Stormlight. Maybe they have something else because they're, you know, they're Radiance according to uh, Asudan, but it, it just burns the skin it touches. It doesn't burn the eyes. So there's your there's your similarities, there's your differences. She can't dismiss it, or at least she hasn't dismissed it in the physical realm, and it followed her into Shadesmar. This is where I get to step in, I think. Um, with my theory that is not based off of that much, but we've seen enough now that I am considering that there's so okay, we have swords, we have shard blades. We have honor blades, and then we've seen a couple that don't fit into any of our like rules. Our honor blades and shard blades, I'm assuming, are basically the same. If there are some, I mean, obviously honor blades give surge binding powers, so that's a big difference, right? But we've seen now Azure Sword, which until she dismisses it, is very different, and it's in the cognitive realm, so also very different. We also have Night Blood, which is really different from the rest right and so i'm wanting to make another this is me i want to make another category and kind of put them in there and my guess is that they may be from the spiritual realm that was my thought because there's only other one there's only one other realm left so that's what i'm going with but um in my mind that makes sense that maybe it draws its power and it goes by these different rules because it's from the spiritual realm um and we can tie chapter 90 into this too because that's where we 
meet Nightblood again, who comes back into our story. Do you guys remember the rules of Nightblood back in Warbreaker? What, how was War, uh, Nightblood equipped? What was the dangers of Nightblood? How did he react when he was used? Do, do you guys remember those rules? So Nightblood, like, what's the word I want to use for it? Deletes or devastates or destroys evil? That's probably the right word. Destroys yep. evil. Like, what he sees as evil, um, he has a complete mind of his own. So, like, he can fight on his own, right? He doesn't actually need someone to wield him doesn't he? Um, but he can be wielded, and whenever he's drawn, he, like, feeds on immense amounts of power and, like, Stormlight or anything. And, like, would... If you had... If you had him out of a sheath too long, like, you'd be at risk of dying because he would just consume too much of you, from what I understand. Right. So back in Warbreaker, you can't summon... Uh, well, first of all, you can't summon Nightblood if you're evil because he'll kill you. And that was part of the the test that Vasher had for Vivenna is he offered her the sword. She didn't take it. Um, and if you're evil, you're going to take it and then die because Nightblood. You also needed breaths. You needed, I think it said at least 50 breaths, love the whatever heightening that was, to even draw uh night blood and so and he started feeding off your breaths as soon as you did draw him so uh that's what zeth is instructed here to do is don't draw night blood unless you have a bunch of stormlight um handy so and it it seems pretty clear that azure's blade is not like of that caliber with with night blood it's clearly not Maybe we can't quite make this assumption, but it doesn't seem to be drawing immense amounts of power from Azure or from those around it. It doesn't seem to be sentient sentient in any way. But I'm kind of with you, Paul. I am kind of leaning towards maybe lumping Azure's Blade in a category with Nightblood. They seem to be like swords with similar shard blade-ish powers that clearly aren't the same as our more traditional shard blades. So I'm... I'm actually, I'm on board with kind of putting those two in the same circle of our, our Venn diagram, at least for a while till we learn more. Mm -hmm. My thought process with that was a category where not all those swords are like the same, but I don't know, maybe they follow some similar rules, but they're obviously very different or maybe draw their power from a different place. We haven't seen from Azure's perspective, right? So we don't know if there's like communication there because... From what I understand, Nightblood only talks to his wielder, right? Or I think so. I, think I could so. be wrong. But th that's my thought of Azure can talk to her her blade, but yeah. in the same way Nightblood talks to Vasher or talks to Zeth or whatever. Um, but they are like very different still from each other, but... We can talk about Nightblood more here in a second, but as we're leaving chapter 89 here, did you guys notice Azure's hair? Adolin noticed Azure's hair. I sure did. As we're, we're talking about Nightblood and potential origins of, of where we know Nightblood came from with the world of Warbreaker, I immediately was drawn to the hair-changing color 
because we've seen that before and we've seen that be really important before. And this is, I think I'm trying to remember if, if this is the first time we've seen Azure's hair do this, or if we actually saw it before already, but yeah, Adolin notices that her hair changes. So yeah, here's another bit of evidence for Azure does not come from here. Azure in Colinar, Azure's hair is described as like silver gray. And then in this chapter, towards the end of the chapter, it starts bleeding to black. So whatever that means. Mm-hmm. This this opens a lot of questions for me because like we don't know maybe we're seeing i don't know but my thoughts are like okay if we took a character directly from a warbreaker story like vasher or vivenna or someone and just stuck them right into stormlight like our, our our stormlight archive story like how would that work i guess and i'm assuming we i'm sure i mean we've seen people who change their hair color like Hoyd and now Azure and stuff. So I'm assuming that's kind of the case, but I just don't know how those rules work. I don't, I just don't know and stuff. So I, I do want to say, trying to remember back to Warbreaker that the only people we saw, like the hair changing thing was supposedly part of the, the Royal bloodline, right? Right. That was how they could tell that the, the two sisters were part of that Royal bloodline. And I remember specifically Vivenna was really good at like controlling her hair color, right? Right. She could control her emotions and keep her hair color, the color she wanted to, because the, the hair changing thing was tied to like when their emotions change or how they were feeling. And so that sort of kind of logic or rules could be fairly consistently applied here. Almost. What if Azure is really good at controlling her emotions and keeping her hair the that lighter color or darker color whatever it is and then as soon as she gets to shades mar maybe she's so terrified in that moment she knows this is horrible this is going to be bad maybe that's just enough emotion to make her kind of crack a little bit and the, the hair changes colors and then slowly she's getting herself back under control as this chapter goes and then at the end of it adolin notices like oh hey your hair's back to the you know what it was before or or it's different maybe she's kind of getting it back under control Anything else? All right, we've talked about it a little bit already, but chapter 90, we have your Zeth content finally, Paul. We catch up with him. He is kind of dropped in the middle of these Skybreaker trainees, and that's kind of all the context we get. We don't really, he was given Nightblood at the end of Words of Radiance and that's how the scene ended for him. And by the end of this chapter, we, we learned that Nail leaves him with the Skybreakers and says, oh, he's experienced with Stormlight. He can pass forward to the third ideal. I give you, I give him permission to do that. And then the trainee guys were like, well, I don't know about that. Nail's not here right now, so we're going to have you train with the rest. So that's kind of where we pick up. He's he's here. By the end of this, he says his first ideal, 
um, and he whispers it to uh, Nightblood. Um, but he says the first ideal of the Night's Radiant. That's where we pick pick up with him. So I know he's like, at this point, he's he's kind of expecting to be able to surge bind again, which I was too. But don't we learn in this chapter um, that that's not the case with Skybreakers? It's like that they have kind of a system. It's like you speak your first ideal, then you get a, you become a squire of someone else, and then you train and learn and then you do the second ideal and that's when you can search bind and then the third one is like bonding a spren or something like that which which was different from what we've seen before if you want to compare this yeah to our windrunner guys it's kind of just bridge four who are all hanging out and they're getting squired them kind of just by osmosis of hanging out by kaladin enough here they have rules you're not allowed to use stormlight until you've said the second ideal if you're using stormlight that's bad don't don't do that like you're not allowed yet so you're gonna say the first ideal you're gonna be a squire then you can say the second one you find a high spread like they have strict rules on how to become a night radiant how to become a skybreaker we also another skybreaker fact we learn in this chapter is that the second surge we know the first surge of skybreakers is the the lashings they've just like the wind runners they fly around we learn the second one is division, but all we get told here is that it's the more dangerous one of the two. It it definitely sounds dangerous. I think we've talked before about the various surges and, and who they apply to in the, the different orders. So I think we may have mentioned this before, but the implications of whatever division might be sounds scary. And isn't that shared with Dustbringers too? I don't remember, but I think I remember them having division yes it is it is shared with dustbringers okay so that makes me even more curious the other direction from skybreakers is windrunners and then windrunners is bondsmiths but then as you're going the other way around the circle it's windrunners skybreakers dustbringers towards our uh chaotic side of the the circle if you will (laughs) yeah so another interesting bit in the beginning of this chapter is about Zeth's re reborning, re rebirth. It when we get a little bit of information here on exactly what happened, which I've been a little confused by this, so I do think this might be potentially important. I'm kind of stuck on the fact of did Zeth die and was was he brought back to life? Or was he on the brink of death and simply saved from dying? And I don't even know if this distinction is all that important, but it seems like it might be. And it's it's confused even by the fact of, like we discussed a while back, that there's two different versions of how he died, right? There's right. The two different, there's the retcon of how he was actually killed, which could play into, did he actually die? This chapter sheds a little bit of light on it, and it talks about, we were mentioning this a little bit before, his spirit. It kind of describes his his spirit. The book says this. The herald had used a type of fabrial to heal his body before his spirit departed. It had almost taken too long, however, 
his spirit hadn't properly reattached to his body. So I read that and I think, okay, before his spirit had departed, he is not dead. He's on the brink of death and he's saved, brought back, healed. But then on the very next page in my book, there's a statement that then seems to contradict this. It says over there, he no longer feared them. He had died and been forced to return. Well, that clearly says that he was dead and came back. So I don't even know at this point whether Zeth is officially like resurrected and brought back to his body or if he was just less magically and more medically saved. I'm confused. In my head, I think it's basically the same. It's like we we see what Nail did, which is he reattached the soul, but not perfectly yada yada. Mm-hmm. Like it was at the very last second, he was basically dead. And from Zeth's understanding, he was probably laying there dead. Like, you know, like obviously if he wasn't saved, like right when he was, he would have died. Like he he was probably declarable as dead or so so that's I, I think i'm taking that with a grain of salt i guess of like there death was basically dead like you know so there is a a good definition for this but i will say it's going to be a while on our reading schedule before you actually feel, like understand the rules here but just understand or take take this and move forward with this he was dead and the, the the mechanics of how Nail reattached his spirit aren't explained here, and it's actually explained in a in a Mistborn book. Um, not to get too many spoilers there, but it's it's a Mistborn book. It's not even the for the first three Mistborn books. It's like a an, an independent Mistborn book, and the mechanics of how a a spirit lives on and then can reattach to a body like that all is explained in another Cosmere book. Um, so, but t- take it, if you, if you really care about the definition of was he dead or was he not, he was dead for 30 seconds. If you, if you want to take it that way. Okay. I'll run, I'll run with that. Ever gave us a real answer. Can you believe that? Looking sort of. I mean, like, I what, mean, what, like, what <laughs> looking for, well, yeah, but you, you gave you gave a definitive yeah he was dead I guess so for the purpose of this so I'll take it I'll take what I can get. We get a we get a name drop of Nail in this episode and Zeth Zeth just refers to him as he dropped him off with the Skybreakers and then he left to go seek guidance whatever that means he after Edge Dancer which if you guys haven't read edge dancer nail is hunting lift and he realizes that the desolation is here he's been trying to stop the desolations by killing all other orders of knights radiant besides the skybreakers and he's failed and he's realized that now so then he drops zeth off with the skybreakers and is going to seek guidance whatever that means i was particularly interested in in this 
tidbit actually because I'm very interested in in Nail and who he is as a herald. Like, is he someone worth following or ha- is he evil? Like, that's kind of the tough question is n- not only can you justify what he's doing, it- it's more of like, is he a good guy? Like, that's a- the tough question. So this seems to point to the fact that after the events of Edge Dancer, which is where we saw him last, he does, at least from Zeth's, through Zeth's words, seem to have acknowledged that he was wrong or be forced to, you know, realize oh the desolation is here i need to not be murdering all of the radiance i can find or at least perhaps that's the the case and so gone to seek guidance seems like a positive thing to me it seems like maybe he's reevaluating the last few thousand years he's spent going around murdering people so maybe that's going to be a good turn for him maybe i hope yeah maybe the the, the strange small tidbits of nail we've gotten to this point nails not in the best of light and the skybreakers not in the best of light so any any information we can get about the skybreakers is interesting if not hopeful for the people who calibrated skybreaker on the uh nitrating <laughs> quiz <laughs> i was gonna say as as skybreakers yourselves how do y'all feel i feel fine but that's because i've read more content than you guys yeah, have that's fair, that's fair. How are you feeling right now, Elliot, with our current reading? Um, unsure with with where we're at here in the book. It it seems I don't have enough I don't have enough information to to fully you know decide how I feel about being lumped in the the Skybreaker group. I want to that you know the ideals of of being a Skybreaker or the 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 highest execution of what being a skybreaker is supposed to be like perhaps the way it was long 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 before seems like something honorable and worth doing the the version of it now that we're seeing does seem maybe like twisted maybe this is not the way skybreakers were supposed to function when they first started or or maybe it is and and maybe they are more of like a morally gray area they're a very legally black and white group but potentially very morally gray maybe maybe that's just who they are i'm not sure who's the antagonist in uh les mis javert is that his name yes inspector javert yeah i always i always view him as nail like the Mm. the the skybreaker you will follow the law to the death and if you break if you steal a if you steal food to feed yourself, I will hunt you to the ends of the earth because you broke the law. That's the extreme skybreaker nail version, the twisted version of I don't care about your well-being. I care about the law being enforced. And that's 100% skybreaker, no no, no windrunner at all part mm-hmm. of like calibration there. So that, that's all, that's the comparison i draw uh, is to chauvet well, should we move on to talk about kaladin to wrap up this episode yeah so we actually get a kaladin flashback chapter when's the last time we had one of those uh and this is right when he's joined amaram's army and tiana's still alive at this point 
and Kaladin is kind of getting a a punishment from his squad leader, and he's doing KP. And Kaladin, like Kaladin's asking, well, "Why am I getting punished? I didn't really like. I back talked to a light eyes or whatever. He wasn't he wasn't like directly superior to me. I don't understand why I'm getting punished here." And his his sergeant guy or whatever he says, "Oh, don't, don't worry about it." You're you're kind of setting yourself apart from the squad. This is just so that you get accepted with the squad. And once they see that you're not above getting getting punished like the rest of them, then they'll they'll accept you into the squad. And Callum doesn't really know how he feels about that, but it does work. And once he's done with his his minor slap on the wrist, that the other squad guys are like, oh, that will accept Kaladin into our little clique here. What did you, what are your guys' thoughts on this before I go on a little tangent? It this chapter seemed a little random at first. It it kind of leads back into the the present day as it goes. But I was kind of confused when at first I was like, wait, wait, why are we back in in Kaladin's past? This is confusing. But yeah, I won't go too much into this tangent that I'm about to do. But uh, Ender's Game is a, a a sci-fi book and the a big takeaway from ender's game is the military steals the innocence of young adolescents and ender uh who is the main character of ender's game there's minor spoilers for ender's game for the next 30 seconds if anybody cares uh <laughs> ender gets indoctrinated into the army and he learns the hard life. He gets bullied by like some of the other military guys and it changes Ender to do that to other members of the military. So he starts hardening people below him once he kind of climbs the ranks a couple times. And that's kind of their critique on the military from Ender's game point of view of it. It kind of robs the innocence of, of young adolescents and that's what's happening here is they're kind of trying to hardening harden Kaladin up and Kaladin's kind of afraid in this chapter that he'll actually be a good soldier and up until this point he's been told by his father that being a soldier is not worth pursuing like killing doesn't matter who you're killing for it's not it's not worth doing we're going to be surgeons we're going to heal the the soldiers who are misguided I, I really like your really connection. I I agree. I think that's a really cool parallel to Ender's Game, and I remember reading that book as well. And that's a really interesting connection that you've made there. That I think is definitely uh, applicable there. I'd have to go read that book again to to maybe draw some more uh, conclusions there. But watching what I remember, kind of watching what happens to Ender in that story is painful, like really painful to see what happens to him and drawing some of those connections to Kaladin and seeing the way that his experiences have really impacted him in a like hard to watch someone go through that sort of way is is really interesting I think Ender and Cal have two different reactions to it I think Cal preserves a lot of his good ideals and Ender does not uh, but yeah anyway the re- the reason why we're getting a flashback chapter here is we're 
we're getting within the context of the last time he froze in battle as the ending part three of Oathbringer. He sees Saw and Beard fighting and then killing each other in the throne room where Elokar dies and he freezes. He doesn't he doesn't know if he's fighting on the right side anymore. He sees both sides and why they're fighting and he freezes. And so within the context of last time he froze or why he froze, it's back when Tien was still alive and Kaladin is in the army these early days getting his uh, punishments of, you know, army life. And then the the episode kind of, or the chapter kind of closes with back in the present day there in Shadesmar. Kaladin is pretty torn up about what what's happened in uh, in part three, and Syl is getting fairly concerned about uh, Kaladin maybe slipping back into the wretch, as Kaladin calls himself at the, uh, during these times. Do you guys have any other takeaways? I had one, one more, one last thing I'll mention in this chapter that I noticed was actually not specifically dealing with Kaladin. It was Syl and Pattern. We finally get some kind of sill and and pattern interaction i've been hoping this was going to be more of a thing now that we're in in shadesmar and pattern and sill are like standing next to each other we know there's a rivalry between honor spren and cryptics and so i was hoping we'd get like some banter or some argument or some kind of like how do the two of these interact and they kind of seem to be ignoring each other ish so far through the the scenes we've seen so far but there is a little bit here in the conversation between sill and kaladin where where kaladin's like yeah that pattern guy he's 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 pretty nice you know and sill's like yeah that's the strange part about him you know kind of implication there being like she's expecting him to be this terrible person and oh he's not and so that little bit i i laughed when i when i read that that line Yeah, I see what you mean. I was expecting that as well. I was expecting some more dialogue, and I was really curious to see. I also think it's it's strange that Sill and Pattern didn't really like react the, much to the other Sprint, right? Like, is this just normal with dead Sprint that they just kind of hang around and like? They just seemed un, un, unaffected. I was like, you know, in the physical realm. Where us people are, right? If there was like a dead person right next to you, you probably wouldn't just be like, "Yeah, they're cool," like you know, like. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Fred. He's been over in the corner there yeah. for a few years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's a little bit odd, but yeah, we we broke uh, a chair a couple of years ago, and he's still sitting over there. You know, yeah, broken chairness. Uh, man, so it, it's a bit odd in. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have too much to say about this uh, chapter, I guess. Any closing thoughts on episode eighty-one? I'm really curious how we're going to get out of our Shadesmar predicament. I, <laughs> maybe yeah, I that's going to be the whole rest of the book is them getting out of Shadesmar. Maybe that's the second story, but it's they they seem like they're in a pickle. 
Yeah, I don't fully know what you do to get out of Shadesmark, but I will say I'm really, really curious because if they manage to like navigate or like go see stuff in Shadesmart, all we've seen so far in Shadesmart is just the pile of marbles, right? So um, if we actually got to like see stuff and see like a spread in civilization or whatever, that would be really cool. Sounds good. We can call it there and reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, uh, Paul and Elliot. See you guys. Farewell. Well.